The Unclaimed podcast is meant for listeners of all ages, where we sometimes have difficult conversations that we feel kids shouldn't be left out of. In this episode, we touch on the topic of police brutality. We also have a discussion about Kanye West, who had said some dangerous comments in the past and in recent history. This episode was recorded before his recent anti-Semitic remarks, which is why they were not addressed in this interview. While we at The Unclaimed unequivocally condemn his statements, we believe certain themes that have been brought up as a result of his comments require a thoughtful discussion. Thank you. Hi everyone, welcome to The Unclaimed Podcast, a Percy Jackson leadership podcast where we inspire you to read and lead, brought to you by Youth Activism Project and Mosaic. I'm Amina, and in this episode, my co-host, Anika, will be interviewing a young activist about her youth-led advocacy organization in Rhode Island. I don't want to spoil too much for you guys, but it's a great interview, and I hope you enjoy. All right. Well, I am so excited to introduce you all to Zainabu Cham. She has been an activist with the Youth Activism Project for how long at this point? I think my anniversary will be hitting three years. Wow. In December. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. So Zainabu, or Zaina, as you also like to go by, you've just been such an incredible inspiration in our community. And I'd really love for you to share your inspiring story with our audience. Uh, how did you come into activism? How did you find out about YAP? And what is some of the work that you did through us? So basically, I first joined YAP by looking up activism advocacy because one day on December 5th of 2019, um, a beautiful girl named Nyasia Thomas sadly passed away in one socket and it impacted the whole community. And um, it was a very pivotal moment for a lot of people. So I was like, there's no way that people in my community have to suffer, go through experiences that it's never displayed on the media. Like growing up, I've been so used to watching Disney Channel, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, and seeing all of these happy childhoods, and they never really fit the description of what I saw in reality day to day. Like people were losing their lives to gun violence, to the system, and all sorts of things. And I just felt like something had to be done. So I felt like I sought to activism as my mean of kind of trying to help my community. And you're from Woonsocket, Rhode Island? Yes, I am. Can you describe that community a little bit more? Um, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, it's pretty diverse. It's about like 50% minority population here. It's very low income. I'm pretty sure the, av- the medium income in the city is around 40k which is below the poverty line it's not too violent i wouldn't compare it to anything like chicago or south la but we do have you know our days where we're kind of we we have our moments and we have our moments where you know there's a lot of unrest in the city so tell tell us about the organization you founded silence is violence and what kind of support did the Youth Activism Project give you to get that project off the ground? So Silence is Violence was co-founded by me and a girl named Julia Joseph during the Black Lives Matter movement and all of the civil unrest happening in the country. I saw this girl who was doing a protest in regard of, what was his name? 
I couldn't tell you his name. I forgot. But someone who was wrongly convicted. Okay. I in couldn't... your community? Or is that no, like... not in the community nationally. But one day I went to Leah and I was like, we have to do something in the community. Because um, I saw that she was like civically engaged. And there's not a lot of people my age who are civically engaged. And I was like, let's do some type of protest, some type of community event. Because I wanted to go to the Black Lives Matter protest in the capital of Providence. But a lot of my friends' parents wouldn't let them because they said it was dangerous or they couldn't go because, like, you know, a lot of things could happen. So I was like, that's so unfair. Like, we're not able to exercise our rights. So I was like, let's do an event that's going to be completely safe, something that's close to, like, in our community and something that everyone of all ages can go to. So we did our first protest. And then at this time, we had another person who helped us, Deshanae Francis. And then she joined the group. And then from there, we had the protest on June 12th. And then following that, on June 20th, for Juneteenth, we had a Juneteenth celebration where we had BIPOC performers uh, perform and kind of say how they felt about everything through art, through speaking engagement. Um, We had a voter registration drive over there. And then from there, we had a community engagement event. We had community events for the youth so they'd be able to be outside and be active. We've met with local city officials about advocating for the people, um, being voice for the voiceless in our community. And the youth activism projects kind of guided us through all of these events, giving us tips, giving us advice on how to do so, how to execute. Before this, for months, I was in Maya, the mental health no, the Mental Youth Alliance, and I learned so much organizing skills from you guys, which I was able to um, use when organizing our events. I want to talk a little bit more about your experience talking to elected officials. How did you get brave enough to do that? Um, so basically, I felt like it was never something scary for me. Um, it was more just how to do so, how to reach out. It's actually pretty like simple. So our community is really tiny. So it's not hard to reach out to local officials. An adult ally we had was able to schedule a meeting with us with the mayor and we talked about her uh, talked to her about how we felt. We voiced concerns that not just us but a lot of people in the community were feeling. BIPOC people um, youth, all like all voices that were never just heard. We expressed how we felt, and the meeting didn't really go as planned. She kind of like um, used a lot of our words against us. Didn't really listen to us, but it didn't stop us. Um, we basically just continued forward, and um, we just persevered as much as we could. It was sad that we weren't able to have our local official side. They didn't really understand our standpoint, which really sucked. But you know we. We use that to like mobilize our community and try to do as much as we could. What are some of the issues that you focused on? Um, we were telling her how a lot of us felt in regards of police brutality, um, the policing, how a lot of people didn't feel safe. Like they just didn't feel safe. They didn't feel represented or heard. And she dismissed a lot of it. She just said that just because things are happening nationally doesn't mean it's happening in our community, which is a total lie because it did. We did surveys actually asking people how they felt and a lot of people were uncomfortable. They didn't feel safe. They had a bad feeling about the cops. They had a negative opinion on the cops and just the relationships a lot of people had with them were very negative. And we voiced that to her. She just dismissed everything 
everything didn't really take into consideration what we were trying to say. She ducked bits and pieces of what we were saying. We explained to her that so many people walk around the streets, so many people are getting into trouble because there's not much to do in the community. And um, she just saw it as, oh, it's some kids who just want more rec- recreational events or things to do in the community. But um, I don't really think she heard what we were trying to say. And she just kind of got upset of how we vocalized our opinions, how we did a protest. And we called her out instead of emailing her, contacting her. But, you know, we never saw her in our community, so we didn't know how to do so. So it was it wasn't really a productive meeting as much as we hoped so. But it was something. And from there, we built some type of relationship with her. Can you talk more about what is the relationship? It sounds like it was going in the positive direction then. From there, she gave us a lot of like false leads. Like she told us like, oh, I would reach, I would reach out to you guys about this, this and this. And she never did. She knew our names and she recognized our faces and things like that. We saw her from time to time, but she never really followed up with us. So we don't really have that much of a positive relationship um, when we're like advocating against like things when we go to like city hall like she sees us she doesn't really she doesn't really like us honestly but you know she knows us she knows our face she knows what we're about what we advocate for what we stand for who we represent so from there i could say it's somewhat of a relationship but i wouldn't say it's too positive what about other allies or champions you have in your community that have been able to help you with raising awareness about police brutality and actually bringing about solutions for it in our journey, we met some of the best, best, best adult allies. Um, we had people who were running from city, first city council, Charmaine Webster, Marlene Gay, Vaughn Miller, and Alex Kithis. We met other people who just work with the youth of um, One Socket. So Bonnie, um, we had Nawando, and um, we just met like so many adults who like they were very adamant of having our voices heard. And they are very adamant about mutual aid work and being there for their community. So they do so, and they still do so much work to this day. How did their support elevate your work? Um, they accompanied us when we had events. They made sure everything was safe for us. They gave us um, tips, advice. They were like parents to us, really, um, because we were doing a lot of it by ourselves. Um, they gave us advice, aided us when we needed help, any questions we had, we would ask them. They were just there for, if not all, at least a couple of them were there at all of our events. You know, Wando, she, um, had a, like a youth section of her organization, the Watch Coalition. She had a lot of us join it. Um, Bonnie, she was able to start her own nonprofit, which Jalia and Dishne works at. Um, called the Malay Girls Project, where they do a lot of mutual aid work in the community. Charmaine and Alex um, and Marlene, they're just like parent figures to us. So they're always there for us. We still talk to them all the time. We did a lot of political work for them. So canvassing, we helped campaign for them. And um, they just taught us a lot about the system. So that's really amazing that you've been able to build these productive relationships with adults right it seems that other council member like is it a stretch to say she didn't take you seriously because y'all were young uh yeah definitely and also I feel like because she didn't agree with our opinion so so how would you what would be your advice so we already talked about having really good adult allies you guys didn't give up even though you faced opposition like Mm -hmm. how 
how did you not give up? What advice do you have to young activists who might experience that kind of pushback and don't know how to continue? Um, for me, example, I can't talk for everyone else right now. I know for myself, around the time when we were announcing our protest, I got a lot of threats on Facebook and it actually really scared me. But I was like, I can't back down from this. I have to continue because it's like, this is something that I see day to day. I mean, I, I'm fortunate to have like two loving parents. They try to shelter me as much as possible. I went to a really good school. I didn't go to the public school in my system. So I didn't see it as much as the rest of them. But I know a lot of my friends were um, experiencing the negative impact. Anytime I thought about it, I had friends who would come over to use my shower because they ran out of hot water. I had I used to always cook for my friends because their parents were never home to cook for them. I had friends telling me about um, encounters they had with the police because they just felt like so violated. And a lot of the times, a lot of the police were like, they did violate their rights and they're right. So it's like I had all of these people coming to me with all of these problems. And it's like people I was so close to, my cousins, my friends, people I've grown up with my whole life, people I can call my brother and sister. And for me to give up is me giving up on them. I definitely knew I had to continue what I was doing because it's not just me and my friends, it's their little siblings and my little siblings and the next generation after us. So I knew that we really had to pave a way for the community to start these conversations and to look at what was going on because for so long I feel like so much of it was like sweeped under the rug. And you guys really brought it out in the open which mm -hmm. is so awesome to see. One of the reasons why I was really excited to bring you on as one of our first interview guests is because you work on the issue of police brutality. It's an issue that a lot of people in this country really don't see, and, and particularly like the racialized aspect of police brutality, how it disproportionately impacts Black, Latinx, and Indigenous um, men and women um, and non-binary folks. So let's, let's talk about that. We're a podcast. We're really trying to be a space where... We're not shying away from difficult conversations. We're having, you know, I, I explained to you our mosaic philosophy, which is all about how do we bring in two opposing sides and try to find a win-win solution, not something where both sides feel like they're compromising or losing out. And so the issue of police brutality is one of those issues that we've been doing a lot of community dialogues on, really trying to get to the bottom of how we can come together on this issue when the country is so divided. And what I'm so inspired by in your work is like you very much acknowledge police brutality as an issue. You have seen it impact your community, your friends, your loved ones. This is what fuels your fight. But at the same time, you uh, work with the police, right? Like you've built these critical relationships because the fact of the matter is policing is a current system that we have to kind of work with. And I think a lot of activists who are aligned with you in terms of experiences, in terms of being very critical of policing, they might criticize you for the work that you did to build bridges with the police. So what are your thoughts on that? And you have like really nuanced takes on this issue. So I'm really interested in hearing, hearing your thoughts. Um, yeah, so I know when we were doing the uh, protest, we had the police contact us about having a meeting with them so we could let them know our objective. And I did have a meeting at the police station, talk to police when doing events. I do have to communicate that. It's a very, very hard topic to talk about because at the end of the day, we do need some type of safety patrol. We need, we do need police in a sense, right? But 
I feel like it's the way that um, police are brought about nowadays. Like the original intent, as most a lot of people know, originally the police they were created for slave patrol and things like that. And when they were they were built off so much systematic oppression, and they have kept those ways for so long. And it's you see it in current day, and for so long. It has been swept under the rug, looking at the civil rights movement, looking at the riots of 92, looking at the Black Lives Matter movement. We have these mo- uh, moments in his- in time where we're so fed up to a point where we're rioting, we're protesting in the streets, and then afterwards it's swept under. Like There are still so many Black and brown people being attacked, being killed by police officers nowadays. And it's no longer a trending topic, so there's no more focus on it. I even saw the other month, like, a police officer killed a little girl. It's so sad that there's no more, like, being shed upon it. And it's hard to say, like, do we abolish police? Do we defund the police? What do we do? I don't think there's going to come a time that everyone's going to agree. Without some type of big movement that everyone is taking part of everyone is contributing a part of I don't think there's gonna be such a colossal change right I've been saying I feel like the day change comes when it comes to policing it's like the day there's a civil war I feel like there would be some type of race war in the country where it's you know uh white conservatives against I guess you would say everyone I would see like people from the right leaning against the left leaning just attacking because even with the riots that's the only time they hurt us when we were violent so I feel like that's the only other time unless there is some type of you know race meeting where like someone representing communities are at the table talking and figuring out bylaws for us to follow because for so long we have made progress but we're not where we need to be after so many years so it's like what is it gonna take for change to really have effective change change that's really gonna matter change that's very so like apparent when is that gonna come and what do we need to happen what needs to happen for that change to come wow okay so we're really going there (laughs) yeah um no i'm glad you mentioned that because this idea of America heading to a civil war is something that a lot of people have been saying and a lot of other people are saying, oh, no, you're being alarmist. I mean, but there is data indicating, well, first and foremost, let's talk about what happened on January 6th, right, Um, at the Capitol. Uh, That is, you know, that doesn't bode well to being able to resolve things in a peaceful way, which is so much why we're really trying to popularize what we're doing with Mosaic and really trying Mm -hmm. to make that a thing because like I want to like I hear your pessimism and I want to counter that with optimism because I think I think yes let's name let's let let us name the fact that we're in a very very polarized world that is the fodder for violence and division right and so that being said there are so many people on both sides of the aisle that don't want to come to that and it's a matter of like really activating those people 
right? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I I pray there's not a war. Like me predicting it isn't me saying like like the race war needs to come. I think it would create colossal damage in the society. Honestly, it could mean the end of the world. Like with the like weaponry, it's so advanced nowadays. I really do think it could lead to destruction of not just the nation but the world. So let's pray for that not to happen. I'm usually an optimist in so many ways, but being I've been at a PWI for I think five years from middle just school. Just to quickly define that, because some people don't know what PWI mm-hmm. means. What is PWI? A predominantly uh, white institute. So from my middle school and first two years of high school, they were PWIs. I was like, for the most part, one of the only black people in my class for a majority of it. And just hearing views from the far right, and now I'm at a pretty liberal, um, very diverse school, and now I'm hearing very far leftist views. I don't know what it would take for us to really come to the middle. I feel like people from both sides would have to give up a lot, and I don't think people right now are ready for that. So this is what like Mosaic is all about, because I feel like in so many of these conversations, we just get stuck on the level of like, what do people want? Like what like pro like keep police and keep funding police versus defund the police and totally you know change the system bringing in diversity education to school versus this backlash against what a lot of people are calling critical race theory and there's so many of these issues that we just we get so triggered from the opposite side and we're about to you and I discussed talking the Kanye situation like that is another case where we can really get into like people with strong opinions on both sides and they kind of get triggered you need to kind of dig in deeper and really understand like for me you know I obviously sympathize really thinking about replacing the policing system for example it's also important to listen to why people are so resistant to it and I think you had hit it on the on the head when you said you do still think there needs to be some form of policing right like crime is still gonna happen and I think you know you and I seem to be aligned in like the current system and the history shows that it's rooted in slavery we need a brand new system but a lot of people don't see that they have life experiences that are telling them a different story so how do we just like get to the level of experiences actually like seeing each other as human because I think the problem is we're not seeing each other as human anymore right we're because we're so like your position is hurting me so I'm gonna hurt you back Mm -hmm. like that's what we're seeing on both sides when we just kind of say you know what let's take a step back let's figure out what we have in common right and let's let's really try to see like I don't have this position because I hate you I have this position because I've had xyz life experiences that really shaped how I view the matter on things Mm -hmm. no I agree I feel like we do need some type of policing system but I feel like like I said I feel like both sides will have to be willing to give up a little bit and to be able to come to an agreement with that well I'm saying like do do both sides need to give up like that's I feel like we're we're stuck in this like Mm -hmm. mindset like there's this concept called like scarcity mindset we're in this like scarcity mindset we're in this belief that like people need to give up I believe that to a certain extent I believe that people who have privilege in this world for example people who um benefit uh because they have um they're of higher socioeconomic status you and I are people of color we experience racism we've experienced racism in our life like that has colored our lives and uh, I think a lot of white people um I was recently watching for example John Stewart Uh, He has this new show out and he was talking about problems with race, right? And so he brought in like a group of white people all from different sides. And a lot of white people seem to think that we live in a meritocratic society. Like, you know, Obama became president. Like, I think people are still stuck on the fact that like, because Obama became president, like 
any any person of color can make in this country and it's like no you need to listen to our experiences but we also like people of color also need to understand white people's experiences and why it's so hard for them to kind of see that right so I think like there is a giving up to a certain extent you've given up you've sacrificed so much for your activism that is informed by the people like you 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 yourself mentioned it it, and correct me if i'm saying this wrong but you said you haven't experienced a lot of the challenges that your friends and even family members experience like you kind of have privilege in the sense Mm -hmm. so you have put a lot of work to bettering things for your community so you you've given up stuff but you were like happy to give give that up yeah definitely So I think like, it's like a reframing of like, yes, some people do need to give up things. But like, once we really start building connections with people who are like vastly different from us, I don't think it's going to feel like that big of a sacrifice. I don't know. Am I too much of an optimist? What do you think? In a sense, like, I honestly agree with that. But I just don't, I don't think people are ready for that. I really don't. I really, truly don't. And it's sad to say, I've seen the way so many people think. I've seen how cruel the world really is in a sense. Like, I've heard things. I've experienced things. I've seen things. And I see the views on how people view each other. The civil unrest that we're going through in this world right now, especially with TikTok and people are very this side or that side. Yes, yes. People are very one side or the other i don't see a lot of people in the middle ground and i think it's gonna take a lot of unlearning and learning for that to happen if it were to happen i feel like gen z would definitely make that happen um i believe it i believe it but i feel like especially with some of the older generations a lot of them aren't ready to hear it and i get why you say that i really Mm -hmm. do but i've also had conversations with older generations who are also over this polarization right so Mm -hmm. it's like people are over it it's what i have seen is like people are over it people recognize that it's an issue but to your point like are people willing to do the work like you have to do so much work and we're what we're trying to do with mosaic we got to put in the work we really want to normalize these conversations like we're going to bring in people from all sorts of like political backgrounds who are committed to fighting polarization right like that's key here like we yeah. really want to bring in people who are like really committed there are people that are always going to want to incite violence and war and like those are the type of people we yeah. want to engage with but we do want to engage with people on either side that are like we can do something better yes mm-hmm. it's going to be hard but we can do something better and like we're trying to inspire people to do that so. yeah definitely but it's like also with a point it's like so many people nowadays are like if you don't see my color you don't see me if you don't see everything that i am like gender politics you're not seeing me so i feel like so many people are so obsessed with the labels and things like that like people are so obsessed with labeling their sexuality what they are exactly to the brim of everything and i feel like is that hurting us or is that really helping us yeah this whole concept of identity politics right like that's something you know i was a gender studies major in college Mm -hmm. like i studied a lot on identity politics and your question like that's the question right is it helping or is it hurting i think sometimes it helps and sometimes i hear critiques on the right that like criticize identity politics and as a way to create division and like you're right it is often used to just divide people and you know i'm i'm a member of the queer community for example and i was literally having a conversation with a friend of mine yesterday about how and this friend is straight and it's like you know my experience and i'm someone you know i'm married to a man so i'm like often feel too queer for like straight spaces and too straight for queer spaces like that's just been my experience what i've realized is that like the queer community is very insular because it is sometimes so hard to be around straight people not understanding like your experiences so you're kind of just like rejecting but 
that's not helping either. Like, we really need to build these bridges. I, I think, I think the, to your point about, like, labeling and identity politics, I think when you use it to, like, when, when it's used to unite people, that's when it's good. When mm-hmm. it's used to divide people, that's when it's unproductive, in my opinion. What is uniting and what's dividing? Like, for example, it's like the conversation with HBCUs, right? I was telling my coach, basically my teacher Oh, and school, then also define, define HBCUs in case folks don't know that. Historically Black college. And then I used the term PWI. He was like, where are you getting these words? I was like, TikTok. Are these hurting us or helping us? Like, HBCUs. Is having an institution where there's only one particular race, is that okay nowadays? Because it's like, would a college of only white people be okay? That happens on itself, but it's like, is it us dividing each other? Because there's a lot of talk. Like for me, when I'm looking at what colleges I want to go to, I don't know whether I want to go to an HBCU and just be around black people the whole time or I don't know if I want to go to BWI it's like that that sense of me labeling myself I was like do I just want to belong with my people or do I just want to go to school just to go to school you know my understanding of I've I've heard a lot of black young people say the same thing as you like should I go to a PWI should I go to an HBCU you know there's really no right or wrong answer I totally get why I mean historically you know like black people women like you were barred from admissions to universities right and so hbcus also like historically hispanic colleges and universities like they arose because these opportunities weren't available for marginalized individuals and so we still live in a society where racism is prevalent like that's the reality right and some people will disagree with it i am happy to have that conversation like the fact of the matter is racism is the fabric of this country and so an argue like a very strong argument for why these structures that are specifically for marginalized individuals exist but like yeah to your point is like we got to be careful that it doesn't like continue to divide us i don't even know where i lie on so many things because i really do try to see other people's perspectives on everything it's like i don't want to be blindsided by my own personal bias right i i never know whether it's like is this division or is this unification where does that fall under like for example i remember when I was at my PWI high school, when I was trying to start a diversity club, it took me a little bit. And I even had to change the name because I think it was Minority Inclusion Club. I think my administration was like, no, you can't. White people are going to feel excluded. Is BIPOC inclusion white exclusion? Like, where where does it fall under? What What is division, right. in a sense? What's the definition these are all really good questions my whole thing is like we need to be asking these questions more we need to be talking about it more and not just with people who agree with us like that's the biggest thing right yeah um okay let's transition to talking about kanye because i was so excited i mean i like it's like i'm laughing but it's also not funny yeah in a lot of ways so zayna had been known in our yap community as just (laughs) like a kanye stan yeah and everyone would like make fun of her for it like (laughs) i would (laughs) exactly you and avery would attack me for like defending Kanye because I defended him in every occasion needed to be anytime we talked about a celebrity oh I love me some Kanye because I do at the end of the day the albums the the fashion like to this day I really do think Kanye is a living genius I really do believe it like look yeah look at look at his fashion look at his production I didn't even know he was a producer until like I think a year or two ago and, and I think he's the best producer. Best producer, and he's a songwriter. 
He write he wrote yeah. I think White Ferrari by Frank Ocean, one of my favorite songs. But it's so hard to defend him nowadays. I really I think I really do have to give up defending him. Let's get into it. So I'm like I'm a I've been a huge Kanye fan, and before he really got off the deep end, I think in like the mid 2010s, like. I didn't defend him for a lot. Like, I, I, would, I would always, like, I would not co-sign every single decision that he... When he would do, like, misogynistic stuff, that would come up for me. Like, I love Kanye. So I still I still do. You know, it's like, it's not like I'm gonna stop listening to his music. Like, yeah. that line hasn't been crossed yet for me. But we let's talk about it, right? Okay, so just to recap, um, Ye uh, was uh, doing a fashion show in Paris, and he had some of his models wear White Lives Matter. And so, of course, a lot of, you know, predominantly people of color, people who agree with Black Lives Matter, uh, found this to be extremely, not just problematic, but dangerous. Because, for example, the Southern Poverty Law Center says that White Lives Matter is a hate slogan. The KKK, Proud Boys, these are violent white supremacist groups that have adopted that moniker. I don't think a lot of people know that. I think there are Mm -hmm. also some people who sympathize with the intention behind White Lives Matter and they don't know it's tied to like violent white supremacy. So that's Mm -hmm. like another thing. But like the debate I've just been seeing is like a lot of people of color really denouncing, really disgusted with Kanye. Like you and I are like disgusted with Kanye. Then on the other side, like people who are more conservative, people who pride themselves Um, on independent thinking they're like well this is Kanye just showing his independent thinking side this is showing him like a lot and you know on the on the left just to simplify things like on the left people are like Kanye is just being provocative for no reason not putting any thought to it but like you and I agree like he's a genius I don't think he does these moves without putting some kind of thought to it right and so I'd like to really quickly talk about Selah, who is Lauren Hill, and um, I forgot, is it Damien Marley? Like, Bob Marley's son's daughter, right? Both of her parents, like, are also, like, very iconic Um, in the um, Black community. And a lot of people have been criticizing her, like, you know, your parents would be, like, should be ashamed and all of these kinds of things. So Selah responded, the past 24 hours has allowed me to realize that most of y'all are stuck in a hive mind mentality. You do what the group tells you to do, and think what the group tells you to think. Witnessing someone break free from the agenda, in quotes, sends you all into such a panic that you will do whatever it takes to force them back into the box that you feel they should exist in. All morale and empathy is eliminated due to the fact that you feel justified by your emotions. The victim becomes the victimizer. And so I don't think I made this clear. Like, Selah was also wearing the shirts, and this was her justification and she also said later that she was going to she texted Kanye telling him that that we should talk about this we should quote-unquote discuss the depth of their white lives matter statement so I actually agree with Selah in a in a in a sense right I'm very big on so like so often people are in this matrix everyone lives the same in a sense right people wake up they go to work and then they live off working, they live off what society tells them to, right? And there's there's not a lot of people who are who really see outside of the box. Everyone does as they're supposed to do, but what does that mean? What does that really mean in a sense, right? So I'm very for that, but she has to see it from the views of people who are ignorant. What Kanye is doing 
is dangerous because going under the sh uh, comments of the shade room dj academics you're seeing all of these people a lot of it's a lot of his white fans saying oh but it's not that serious kanye always does dumb things like this is they're kind of dismissing it because i think they kind of agree in a sense and now it's giving white people to say well what's so wrong about it kanye's black and he said it right and there's other black people who really don't care too much about the movement or who really don't care about a, a lot of societal problems saying well it doesn't really matter now it's creating more division it's, it's a problem when you're trying to advocate and when you're trying to see justice for something and then someone who's supposed to be a part of your group kind of dismisses it and goes completely opposite so it's like what kind of unity do we really have so kanye doing this really does hurt the movement a lot but i do understand what she's saying why do i have to agree with what is what's the agenda why do i have to be a part of the agenda who are you to tell me what i have to believe in we really aren't i feel like a lot of the time we have this problem of telling people you're black you have to think like this you're white you have to think like this but it's like you think the way you do it's just with their platform and doing this without explaining themselves because yes, you can't do something thing. yes you can't do something without explaining yourself if they explained themselves as soon as all the pictures came out if he made an announcement right all he said was that's like, fine I thought it was funny exactly right without explaining yourself who are you to really put something so controversial out there yeah and then saying oh well you, you you don't see the way I'm thinking. Well, you're not voicing the way you're thinking. And there it's hurting us. It's hurting us. It's hurting us. It's hurting us. So yeah. you can't say, oh, you're for Black Lives Matter or you're for the Black community. Diddy, I think, was, was talking about how Kanye back in the day said George Bush doesn't care about Black people. Yes. But it's yeah. like, Kanye, if you care for Black people, why are you hurting the community like this? And, I, you know, my question, and I very much like i asked i'm you know want to make it very clear i'm not black like i honestly feel slightly comfortable wading into this conversation but you know you and i agree that kanye is a visionary he's a genius i'm i'm wondering if he's trying to bring a conversation that people aren't aren't ready for that's like another thing you know like is he just like a couple years ahead because and I'll, the reason why i think this is because do you remember did you ever see the runaway video no, I don't okay. think so. Or I think, actually, I don't know if it's the runaway video or if it's the entire, like, he has, like, this 36-minute, like, video that compiles, like, a lot of his songs. And there's, like, a scene of um, Kanye and, I guess, like, um, his community, and they're all black. They're sitting at this, like, opulent table. They're clearly, like, in whatever vision or society that Kanye created, they're, like, the upper echelon of that society like they're like the cream of the crop and everyone who's waiting on them are white people mm -hmm. and i remember this scene of this woman on one of one of the wait staff who's this white woman who came in poured something for kanye and he was like his like affect was like very dismissive so really like turning the tables right uh, on, on white supremacist narratives but then you can see the woman like kind of fade into the back and it doesn't really like zoom in on her face, but if you pay attention to her face, her face is livid. And I'm like, wow, like that—that that is like the type of provocative art that I'm sort of just like, this is what 
this is what Kanye, like I'm someone who, you know, this back to what Selah said about the victim becomes the victimizer. Like as a marginalized person, like as I see like ways that sometimes and this could be, you know, this could be a popular opinion with people on my side, but there are times, and I think you and I were talking about it earlier, even that like people, marginalized people like can be so ugly because yeah. we're so hurt. And like, I refer to dictatorships that I've seen, like in the country where I'm from, Bangladesh. The sad history of Bangladesh is that people who fought for our independence from Pakistan, they're the oppressors now. And there are other countries like all across the world that have the same sort of like the people who fought the revolution end up being the dictator. So there's a part of me that's like, is that what Kanye is trying to get at? Like, I'm still like, I'm still not for, I'm just trying to understand. And I'm, I, I appreciate Sayla. I'm kind of irritated with her for not recognizing and being defensive and not recognizing the damage. But yeah. I do appreciate her for like reaching out to Ye and being like, we need to be intentional. We need to explain to people why we did this. Yeah. So many times that does happen. Like I've seen myself victimizing myself a little too much. And it's like, I don't, where where does the line draw where it's like, okay, enough is enough. Okay, I get it. I've been hurt. I've been pressed. So where does the line draw that it's like, okay, now I have to stick up for myself and I have to continue fighting without feeling like a victim. Where can I stop putting the blame on the oppressors and now the blame is on us? And I feel like so many people have to have that conversation. And Kanye is, I feel like, trying to have that conversation, but I feel like he's kind of forcing it a little too much and he's doing it in a chaotic sense it's right? okay it's so it's chaotic, chaotic. It's, it's very chaotic okay. and it's um disorganized but i could see where he's doing because there are times where he's very much defending the black community and then it doesn't go his way like look his relationship was trump right he was very oh trump's my father trump is this trump is that oh trump hates me you know what i mean so it's like is it him trying to do something and then now it's not working his way and then he doesn't really explain it i think his problem is he is a visionary and i'm in love with visionaries james baldwin malcolm x all visionaries right but they they have a way with their words where they're able to explain that but with yay i think that's his problem he's not explaining his intentions right he kind of leaves it up right i think what he does is i'm gonna display some art right because his fashion show i feel like that's art i'm gonna display some art and you tell me what you see but i feel like that's destructive a little bit i feel like it's a little destructive you and i are very firmly on the side of like this can really embolden like violent yeah because like we again i'm gonna reiterate like some people don't believe this but like if the kkk is using white lives matter that's not a good sign yeah anything with the kkk aligning with that is just not a good sign and so we need to recognize that Mm -hmm. at the same time i do think people who are really offended by this and like are i can't deal like also need to recognize that you know what sayla is saying like there's an element of thinking outside the box with this and that's what people on the right who are supporting kanye like they're saying well they're they're really bringing up that independent thinking argument so my i think one of the things that i think our takeaways from this is like and correct me if i'm wrong sometimes it's good to put out art that's like provocative but like you have to be like mindful of the potential damage you're causing this is a type of thing where you can't just put out there you have to explain it there are two sides not in the sense of like should kanye be justified in doing this or not but rather like what what does the statement mean like is there any meaning behind this statement that 
is not just destructive and dangerous? I think yes. Now that I'm talking about it, what if Kanye actually wanted this to happen? He wanted everyone. Because why is it that we always say two sides, two sides, but there's always more than two sides, right? If yes. You're, right? Yeah. I feel like a line is infinite. There's this side, that side, this side, this side. There's so many sides. It, it's never ending. And yes. is that what he wanted? Is, is Does this conversation, because now everyone's talking about it, I think... That's what he could have wanted. But at the same time, how do we know what he wants until he tells us what he wants? Is it maybe he threw something for us and now he wants all of us to voice what we want? Maybe he it's time for us to really stop saying, oh, who's the next person we should follow? What's the next person? Because I feel like that's what we do. We all oh, keep so a guy onto one person's opinion and then others will piggyback onto another. But it's like, what if everyone has their own opinion on something? Is that what he wanted for us? To not be able to say, oh, well, I agree with Kanye. Well, what are you agreeing on? He hasn't said anything. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm not really counting on Kanye <laughs> to like step in. I'm I'm really, Sayla, if you happen to be hearing this, I would love to chat with you. I really want to extend so much grace to you for explaining because we want to know. <laughs> like we yeah. want to know. We're not convinced Kanye's going to do the right job of that but i think what you said is so right like it's not just two sides right it's like it's not just binary or linear it's mm -hmm. it's, it's multifaceted and i think if kanye and the people who like perpetuate this message if they don't step up and really try to do damage control it's up to us to not let this conversation fade into nothing like we should have these conversations keep having these conversations so that people can really understand why for a lot of us this was a really dangerous and scary thing principally for black people and why on the other hand people are like well can we can we have more independent thinking like that that seems to be like we're kind of having two different conversations and so let's have those conversations right let's both have both sides have both of those conversations and probably all the other sides that are here in this yeah state. Definitely. Okay, moving on to like something more positive, I guess. We started off talking about you being the leader and founding Silence is Violence, which is like an activism community engagement organization. Now you've shifted your focus to entrepreneurship. Can mm -hmm. you tell me why uh, that's the path you decided to go on? And yeah. Um, I feel like nonprofit work, learning about entrepreneurship. I'm actually in an intro to business class. Nonprofit work. It's also business. Nonprofit is business in a sense, right? Nonprofit business, profited business. That's what I've shifted my ways to. You know, I'm trying to create a system where I'm also helping people as well as profiting from that. My business, Sunubari, Sunu means our and Wolof. So the whole ideal of everything is that all of my products are imported from Senegal, Africa, where I'm from. And from there, I want to be able to create a factory, create a warehouse, and create jobs for the women of Africa because Senegal is an LDC. And in low-developed countries, which LDC is, so many times the women don't work and they're underrepresented. And I want to be able to create a place where they can be paid well and possibly even be the breadwinners of their um, household. I want them to have a community. I want them to experience foreign benefits that they don't know of, hourly pay, health benefits, child care benefits, for them to have a safe place to work. And I really want to bring that to my community. It's me trying to build 
something for my community back home and I can do that through entrepreneurship and I think the concept of entrepreneurship too is something that really unites both sides yeah yeah Mm -hmm. like my um my entrepreneurship coach coach Mel Moore um he does a lot of nonprofit work I always ask him I'm like oh coach we should do this we should do that he'd like oh well I have a nonprofit. I was like, oh, really? He was like, yeah, I do a bunch of volunteer work. I do this, I do that. I would love to help people. He's always helping people. And I feel like so many entrepreneurs, if you go to a lot of successful entrepreneurs, oftentimes they have their own nonprofit or they do partake in nonprofit work because nonprofit is just another section of business. Okay, so closing out, I have two more questions really tying back into the premise of this whole podcast, which is really looking towards art, culture, literature, et cetera, as like inspiration for activism, right? So like we spent a lot of time talking extensively about Kanye. He has definitely influenced my like activism and leadership Mm -hmm. development. What do you think about that for yourself? For me, definitely watching Hood movies, Hood 90 movies for me. A lot of the time, I think I lost a lot of momentum. I was burnt out because I used to like, um juggle so many tasks and then i would watch boys in the hood right one of my favorite movies a definitely black american classic and i watched these movies and i told myself like i have to continue i saw my friends i saw my community in that movie in a sense and i was like this means like looking at the way with the things they went through in the movie um menace to society as well um, paid in full all of these movies kind of conveyed the same message it's like so many people will go through things that they don't want to because they're put in an environment that they can't control so many times people are a product of their environment the difference between a pig and a hippo is that a pig lives in a dirty environment he's surrounded by waste and mud but a hippo they put themselves in clean water and a cleaner habitat but so many people will see a pig as dirty and i feel like that's so apparent in so many communities when people talk about black people when people People talk about um, inner city communities and quote unquote hoods. It's because we're put in such dangerous and filthy environments that we become a product of what we are. And so many people perceive us as different. And I want to be able to break that barrier. So that really pushed me to do more with myself through activism, advocacy, mutual aid work, and just helping the people of my community. You're so brilliant. <laughs> Um, my last question is, if they were to make a movie about your life, about your leadership journey, about mm-hmm. your activism, what is one scene that needs to be in that movie? Can you describe it? One scene. One scene. Oh, my God. I did not think about this question. Okay. I think my childhood. They would definitely have to, when I was at Burnham Heights Elementary School, I think they would just have to get a lot of little scenes of me playing with my friends. Because... In those moments, right, I'm, I'm not thinking about black, white, poor, rich. I'm thinking about, oh, I'm playing with my friends. I'm sipping apple juice. I'm at the sandbox. I'm playing um, jackpot. I'm playing on the playgrounds with my friends, right? And it's like now we're growing up and so many of people of my friends, and I've, I've had a lot of problems with this. You know, I have a, I have a successful business. I'm doing mutual aid work, community work. I'm um, studying, testing really high in school, right? But then I have friends dropping out of high school 
and they're because you know they're becoming teen parents I have friends who are in and out of the jail system actually yesterday I had my friend come up to me he was like oh you're still doing community work and I was like yeah here and there I am and then he was like that's amazing I'm so happy for you he was like I just got out three months ago and I was like wow he was like I want you to teach me what you're doing like I want to flip houses like I love that stuff like I love it like I want to I want to get into it I was like if you want to get in you have to get out whatever you're in and it's like he was like I don't want this life he was like it's just it's what I gotta do to keep myself safe and to provide for me and my family and I was like wow like that really hurts me because it's like what what was the difference between us 15 years ago when we were just kids playing together sipping juice playing games and it's like now I'm in one path and you're in a completely opposite path and that hurts me a lot so if I were to have a movie I would definitely want them to focus on the scenes of my childhood and see how pure I want, I want them to see how pure these people really are before they're able to be corrupted by their environment um, around them definitely that would be such a powerful movie yeah like you are like I'm just trying not to cry right now honestly <laughs> so closing out I'd also love to ask you, what is something you feel like people really need to do right now? What is a call to action that you have for anyone who's listening? Go a day without labeling yourself. So many times people always tell me, oh, Nabu or Zena or whatever people call me. I have so many nicknames. <laughs> They're like, oh, Nabu, like, are you bi? Like, why, do you, why are you so close to girls and things like that? Oh, are you are you are you this are you that like what's your ethnicity i go to a school where there's so many um hispanic people right a a lot of people from the latino community it's like oh are you dominican what are you what are you what are you and so many times we're always labeling ourselves what if we want a day where we stop labeling ourselves and things like that you are as you see me right because i feel like that's such a problem people have nowadays so it's like people have certain labels for everything oh i'm this Oh, I'm a Virgo. That's why I'm like this. I do that all the time. I'm not going to lie. Oh, that's just my Virgo trait in me. It's because I have, I'm a Capricorn rising. Like, I feel I like, let's. They always make fun of me. Let's stop labeling ourselves and let's just be what we, what we we're putting this world to be. Let's just be people for a little bit, maybe longer than a day. Let's go a week and see what happens. Let's see how, what differences it makes in us. Let's introduce ourselves as what we are instead of what we're categorized as. A lot of people are like, when they introduce themselves, hi, I'm Zainabu. I do this, 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 and that. But it's like, why don't I introduce myself? Hi, I'm Zainabu. I like to watch anime and I like to travel and eat really good food. And I'm really interested in this. How about you? I feel These like... are things that, you know, we all have in common, no matter mm-hmm. race, gender, sexual orientation, ability, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, that's what unites us. And so mm-hmm. to our earlier point of, like, sometimes labels and just getting rid of labels can actually do the work of uniting people. Yeah, definitely. Right? Well, you, I could literally, like, just, talk to you for hours Um, this was such an amazing conversation I really hope people get a lot out of it and we're probably definitely gonna have way more happy to invite you back (laughs) thank you I would I would be so honored to come back definitely all right well assalamualaikum 
Thank you guys so much for listening to The Unclaimed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked what you heard, make sure to tell your friends and give us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at The Unclaimed Pod to stay up to date on when we release episodes and also additional content. Next week, we'll be releasing our third episode where we finally start reading the Percy Jackson series, starting with the first four chapters of The Lightning Thief. So get out your books and tune in for a great discussion. Bye!